this mic is on. There we go. At the right switch. If we could gather into our seats. I'm so thankful to be in the house of the Lord with you today. And, uh, um, thankful that the pals had a great week here, but have returned from general conference. Um, I like to turn in the Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Starting at verse 1, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your word. I ask you to speak into our hearts and lives, Jesus. Change us, O God. Give us revelation. Give us understanding. May we be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in Matthew chapter 5, we see that Jesus is teaching what is often known as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, when we look at this, I, I think if you went to the land and you, you surveyed it, you might be a little bit confused. Because uh, um, when you study it out, there were hills there. And so there's some contrast, and you might see some comparisons with Moses and how that Moses was on a mountain. But, but what the setting is, is like if you were looking in the book of Luke, you'd have seen a flat area. So the setting here is that Jesus sees the crowds come in. They're anxious to be touched. They're desirous to be healed. They want their lives to be changed. And, and Jesus has some, uh, he calls his disciples, why a disciple? A disciple was somebody who said, I want to follow you. And we have the 12 apostles, and the 12 apostles, we, we see them in great detail how they went everywhere with Jesus. But we know that, like Matthias and, and in the um, book of Acts chapter 1, that there were others that also were with Jesus. And so they would follow Him, and they would go where He went, and they would take up his teachings and put them into practice. If you were here a few Wednesday nights ago, we talked a little bit about this, but um, Elisha and Elijah. Elisha, when he began to follow Elijah, he said, okay, you know what? My destiny, my purpose, my family, my parents. I don't think he gave up his wife and kids. He didn't, give up, he didn't have wife and kids, but um, I'm going to follow Elijah. And so he picked up and and he got rid of what he thought was his future, and he made his way after Elijah. This is an example of a disciple. Unless that scare you just a little bit, you already decided one day, so many of you, that you wanted to have a change in your life. You encountered Jesus, and you said, wait a second, this is something worth living for. And so you decided to, to make some changes, and Many of you went ahead and when you made those changes, you said, God, I don't want to live these ways anymore. You also understood you needed help. And some of you maybe even tried to do it your way. You got down and said, God, I need your help. And then you tried to get free from those things you wanted to give up and you couldn't do it. Maybe you gave up some things. Other things you eventually returned to. But then you found yourself going down in the water. And I, and I love the baptismal tank. Why? Because in any other situation, it's just like taking a bath. 
But when you call out the name of Jesus, something happens on the inside. All those weights fall off of you and and you're set free. And then you begin to discover that with the power of Jesus Christ and not just being baptized, but when He came and lived inside of you, that you could overcome those things that you tried to give up. So what you tried to do on your own by repenting, you discovered I needed Jesus in me and on me. That there began your journey of being a disciple. You said, okay, what does God want? I need somebody to teach me. I need to come to Wednesday night Bible studies. I would like to get in on one-on-one Bible study. I, I want to know what this word means. And, and you came with questions. And, and the more you decided to follow Jesus, the more you continued to be his disciple. And so we have the multitudes, and the multitudes are all there, and and they're excited for Jesus, but not everybody who was part of the crowd was a disciple. And I find it interesting that Jesus, when I first read about the, the Sermon on the Mount, I see Jesus teaching thousands of people. But when you read a little bit closer, and then you look to see how other people see this passage as well, you see that Jesus went up into the mountain or up into the hills. He had to pull away from the crowds down there. And he pulled up his disciples with him. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. He went up into a mountain. He said, i got to pull back. And so there you would find there's maybe not so much difference from the book of Luke. When when you see that Luke was up here and and he went into a place, maybe a flat area, but he, he withdrew and he pulled up. And you see that he begins to teach his disciples. You see, Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. When you see those terms, they're, they're synonymous. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And, um, and, and, and He was establishing the rule, the reign, and the authority of God. Oh, I'm so excited when I begin to understand that the kingdom of God isn't just some far off land that one day I think I'm going to go to. But it is God here right now. Oh, one day he's gonna, the trump's going to blow and everything's going to be changed and we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. Yes, and the new Jerusalem. But right now, the reign, the rule, the authority of Jesus Christ, Almighty God, is here on this earth. It is right now, but not yet. Oh, it's, it's happening all around us, but we still wrestle with flesh. And, and, and God is in the midst of us, and He has all power and authority, yet we, we fight enemies and principalities. And, but God is here, and you must understand that you have authority in Jesus Christ. And no devil in hell can overcome Him. And no man and no flesh on this earth can stand up before Him. When God says, let there be, it has to happen. Mm. His kingdom is here right now. But yet, He did not steal your choice. And so Jesus came preaching the kingdom of heaven and And as he began to talk to them, he begins and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, this word poor is an understanding. It doesn't matter how much money I have. God, I am utterly dependent on You. I can't make it without You. 
Oh, I, I'm, I'm in poverty. Everything I get, my daily bread, it comes from you. I can't make that bread that comes from heaven. It's made by you, oh God. You feed my soul. You're the life in me. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, it's exciting because Jesus began to tell them, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is that right now? Hey, hear me out. The power, the rule, the reign of Almighty God is here. And if you're somebody who says, I need Jesus with everything in my being, it's here for you. The kingdom of heaven, the authority of God, His power, His reign is for you. You're being invited in. In the book of Isaiah, we see in Isaiah, um, and we also see it actually in the book of Luke chapter 4, where Jesus read out of Isaiah 61, but he read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Oh, that wasn't just somebody who didn't have money but it was somebody who said, you know what? There's a hunger in me. And Jesus got, gathered in his disciples. And I have disciples out here today. And he wanted his disciples to hear, if you're poor in spirit, I'm here for you. My kingdom is here for you. My reign is here right now. There's somebody that's poor in spirit today. I'm poor in spirit. But somebody, maybe you've wandered a little bit from God. And, and I don't mean that we're looking at you and we're saying, oh, you wandered from God. But you've been struggling inside. You've been wrestling inside. And, and you're hungry and you're desirous. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom is here for you. The kingdom's here for you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. What is this mourning? Israel was in bondage. Israel had been in a struggle. They were longing and looking for the kingdom of God to be restored. They saw Israel being restored at this time as, as God reigning here and, and, and taking control. And, and, and yet He comes out and says, You know what, all of you people that see the devastation of the world around you, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Something's going to happen in your life. And you know what? That blessing, oh, that, that, that calling out, that, that fortune from God. That, that, uh, and I don't mean that in some sort of mystic sort of way. I mean, you know what? God showed up in my life, and, and I'm, I've got something that other people don't have. God's doing something special in here. And I'm blessed. Oh, I'm blessed because I was able to encounter Jesus. And if you've been aching and mourning for your family, you've been looking at your neighborhood, you've been looking at the conditions around you, you've been looking at your children, maybe your mom or your dad, and you've seen the mess, it's time for somebody to begin to cry today. Somebody to come under a burden Somebody to be broken. Why? Blessed are they that mourn. It may be your personal condition. It may be things you've gone through as a family. It may be the onslaught of hell that just has slapped you upside the head. 
But blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Oh, that's exciting. You thought it was just downtrodden. He's saying, you know what he's telling us there? He's saying, blessed are that, those people who had the right attitude and the right spirit because you're fixing to come into something right here. Oh, I don't mean you're going to own every single field out in the earth, that you're going to own the whole nation of India. I don't mean that. But he said, hey, you're fixing to get blessed. You're fixing to get rewarded. Why? Because God is on the earth. He goes on, he says, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. What is that hunger and thirst after righteousness? That is not simply you just wanting to do right. But that is you having a craving and desire in your life that says, you know, whatever it is that God wants, that's what I want. I want my home to be right. I want the words that come out of my mouth to be the kind of words that God is pleased with and He likes. What I do with my every day, I want it to be something that matters for God. I, I, I am hungry for righteousness. You know what? If I found out you don't like a gray suit coat, please tell me the color you like because I want that coat. Oh, if, if you don't want me to be in this city, you want me to be in that one, that's what I want. And I'm seeking you, God. I am hungry and thirsty for righteousness. I want to do it right. Oh, that fits right in with blessed are the merciful. Oh, that merciful ties in with when you're merciful, you give forgiveness. Oh, if you want to be righteous, you say, okay, God, you want me to forgive them that did me wrong? Help me to work through the mess because I want to forgive them too. I want to have mercy on somebody who did me wrong because you had mercy and you've called on me to forgive and to have mercy. Oh, let me be righteous. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know that passage, pressed down, shaken together, running over? Now, I would love for my finances to bloom. Then I won't stress out over all my bills. But that pressed down, shaken together, running over is you showing grace and mercy. You giving people a break. Why? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Oh, if you could, instead of seeing the details of everybody's problems and saying, you know what? I don't know why I had this thought come to mind. I have the worst handwriting, and I am not a doctor. Sorry, Matthew. Um, I have bad handwriting, and you might have the most beautiful handwriting. If you were in class, and you were sitting there, and you were like, why did the teacher count mine incorrect? Look at Lucas's horrible handwriting. You can't even read it. Sometimes I banked on that. Um, and you would have judged my work. And you'd have said, I'm so much better than him because I didn't give garbage like that. Or you could have said, you know that class I struggled in over here and I really had a hard time and the teacher gave me a break and helped me out? 
you know, Lucas over here, he needs a break for his handwriting. And, and, and I know these are silly examples, but if I got into some of the real ones in your life, you'd be like, wait a second, where are we going here, Lucas? But you do need to have mercy on other people. Stop nitpicking their work and detailing their life and saying, well, I never went through that situation. I never had that addiction. I never went through that struggle. My marriage never looked like that. If they'd have done my children or their children the way I did my children, stop it all together and instead understand that the mercies of God saved you and brought you out and so have mercy on them. Maybe you were the kindest person to a thousand people. Oh, but hear me. You also have sin and were broken and needed somebody to have mercy in your life. So just because they were rude to you and they treated you dirty and wrong. Oh, see the bigger picture. See their soul. See it going to hell. And understand you were pulled from the flames of fire. And, and say, God save them too. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain Mercy, and that is righteousness. And that fits right well with blessed are the peacemakers, so they, for they shall be called the children of God. Oh, you know, there's a lot of chaos in life. And it is easy to have chaos. Just try it. All you married couples out there, go home and poke your spouse in the eye when you get home. It doesn't take long. Just go. The rest of your day will be messed up. Go home. Say something kind of rude or mean. All right? Say, you wore that today. Just try it. Try it. Do it. I'm not doing it. You look beautiful today. Yes. All right, there we go. But go home. Just say something mean. Say, when they get a little upset later today, say, you need to get your life under control. That'll go over real good. All right? Marriage advice, right from up here. Do not listen to the last several sentences I just said. Do not follow those. They will get you in trouble. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. It is easy to have a fight. But it is hard to make peace. And yet, when Jesus came and he started to teach, he said, those of you out there that were tired of the chaos... Those of you that wanted to reach in and see people rescued. Those of you that were, were seeing the brokenness of your world and you wept and you cried. Your time has come. Your time has come. And, and, and he sat down and he opened the book. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Isn't that exciting? If you were a disciple there that day and you heard him talk about these blessings and Sister Kim, he was saying your time has come. Every tear that you shed, every bit of kindness you had, every time you did everything right and they did it wrong, your time has come. The kingdom of God is here. Oh, let's give him a hand clap. Hallelujah. Oh, it's exciting. I wrote this in my notes last week when I was thinking on this topic, but I wrote the fallacy of the prosperity doctrine. Why is it such a fallacy? 
Because it tries to regulate God to your money and your local house and the car that you drive. And I trust me, I want a car that runs. And I got a bigger house, thank the Lord. I can't imagine if I had half the square footage, which I did with the family of seven. God is good, but he's so much bigger than my house. And he's so much bigger than my job. He's so much bigger than my sickness. He's so much bigger than my health or my family. Oh, this is just temporal and it's going to pass away. But he's going to remain and last forever. What you put into the kingdom, that's what will last. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And so the prosperity doctrine, it does a couple things wrong. One, it regulates him just to the monetary and what we get here. Two, it makes you think that you come to God as a pop, the pop machine downstairs. And when you roll that dollar bill in there and you push the button, Coke should come out or Dr. Pepper or whatever your selection. And when it doesn't, the machine is broken. Or sorry, we must be out of pop. We must be out of answers to prayer. The answer is no because we don't have any more for you. It would leave you to think, wow, well, God's infinite, so therefore he should have all the Dr. Peppers in the world. So if I just keep pushing the button, I should finally get it, right? I must have pushed it wrong. Have any of you ever had something that was broke? And you're like, and you keep trying the same thing over again. Maybe you load an app on your phone, it doesn't work, so you delete it and reload it, delete it, reload it. I think that's the definition of insanity doing something wrong and just keep redoing it the same way. I have. You're like, wow, that can't be right. Brother Khan would appreciate this. Oh, that can't be right. Oh, I am getting shocked. Have you ever done that, Brother Khan? You touch something, you're like, that, that can't be hot, so I did it again and again. That was my first experience with electric fence. I'm like, it's an electric fence. It is an electric fence. That might explain some problems up here. But the problem with the prosperity doctrine is it makes you think you did something wrong. And so you try again and again instead of trusting God with all your heart and understanding that he's, his, what He's got in His plans is far greater than the money in your pocket. And what, the ways He wants to bless you and work you are inside the heart. And it's a spiritual thing. Yes, I got the fleshly and I got the physical, but so much greater I have the spiritual. And one day I don't care how many times I heal you, your body's going to die. But I'm going to blow the trumpet and you're going to get a new body. And you're going to be changed. So when you trust Him and Dr. Pepper doesn't come out of the machine, you say, God, I know you got this because you are living. You're a living being. I'm in relationship with you and I trust you for the good times and the bads. I trust you for the yeses and the noes. I trust you when we team up together and I don't quite know where everything's going, but I know you have it in your hands. Before I move on from this though, some of you have received a word from God and direction in your life. And you followed that direction that he put in front of you. And you saw the destination. And someplace along the road, I'm talking about callings. Someplace on the, on the road to that destination. God stepped in and said, you know what, we're not going there anymore. We're taking you over here. 
And you're like, hold on, you gave me a dream. You spoke into my life. God's going to fulfill that. This is how I can think about it for this church. I know Pastor Tony, he thought, you know, I'm going to be here forever. He thought that's what it was. God gave him something to shoot towards. But it's his kingdom. And when he moves you out of the way and you thought you were in caribou forever. And he said, <laughs> you get to go to Nebraska. So much greener, more space. Yeah. And he brought you here. And so for the rest of you, when you think, wow, but I thought it was all going to be this way. He gave you something to shoot towards as he was fulfilling his kingdom. And when he decides he needs you some other place, Philip, you're in Samaria. I've got a revival going, but I now need you in a desert. And so I'm picking you up and I'm putting you here. Just trust God for the process. Trust him to change the destination because he's got you. Oh, I love the blessings of God. I love the goodness of God. And you know I am so excited that He came to earth and He changed everything. And He turned our world upside down. And He came with blessed R. Can you go ahead and give Him another hand clap? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so, that brings us in these beatitudes section to verse 10. And it says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. But theirs also, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This would be a whole inclusio. He started out with, it's a big fancy word for it brackets it, it includes everything. But we began this passage which, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he starts to bracket it off by saying, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's not a standalone item out there. Something that we're like, oh, well, how'd that get over in this? No. What it is is he's saying, hey, when you pursue God with everything in your being, you want to do it right. When you are the pure in heart. When you're saying, God, I need to be clean. I, I want to I wanna, to, to go your way. And, and I, I want to do what you want me to do. When you're like the one in Psalms, um, Psalms chapter 24. Lift up your head, O ye gates. That psalm. Well, what did it start out with? Uh, um, the clean hands and of a pure heart. When, when you say, God, I need to come to your holy hill. And whatever you want, I want. You have separated yourself from the Spirit of this world. And in separating yourself from the spirit of this world, you are going to discover that people begin to think, wait a second, what are they doing? What's this all about? You don't need to live that way. The spirit of this world, the, the devils of hell, they begin to fight against you and say, no, don't live life that way. I, I get that you want to have mercy, but on this situation, why do you need to behave this way or dress that way? And in 1 Peter chapter, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, for, in the time past of our, um, for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. 
You used to live a certain way. And I'm sorry, all your friends out there that haven't fully embraced righteousness, they think it's okay. And your very act of not living that way, but this way, of always being a peacemaker when they say it's not time for peace, of putting on God's righteousness when they say this is fun, your lifestyle condemns them. Your pursuit and desire for the things of God brings separation. You can't live for God and be part of this world. God is not of this world. You are not of this world. And that's why He says, Be ye transformed. Get a new mind. Think God's thoughts. And out of that, your righteousness, what happens with it? But blessed are they which are persecuted. You go through suffering. You go through struggle. You go through heartache. You go through trials. Oh, sometimes you wonder where everything is at. You don't know how to get there and and you don't know what to do and and you don't know how you're going to make it. But hold on. Because Peter described this in 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1. And he talks about the salvation and the hope that we have. But he says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation or manifold trial, manifold struggle. You're going through it. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Oh, Being righteous means you are going to go through suffering. And in this year where we've talked about all are called, I don't want to spook anybody, but just as we're called into the kingdom, with that we're all called to suffer. You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer two ways. You're going to, maybe three or more, but... You're going to have an enemy that's attacking your mind. And he also reaches in and he knows what it is that your flesh likes. Those old sins that you came out of. Those things that, those parties and those those wild ways that fed the craving of your flesh. And he says, hey, hey, it's right over here. Come, come, get experience in it. Somebody invites you to something. You, you maybe, you go to a, a football game and, and maybe you came out of, you, you, really liked a, you really liked beer. And you're like, well, that beer really looks good. And, and, and uh, not, not me, I've never tasted any of that over there. Not to say I'm righteous, but I just don't relate to it. Um, and, and, but you might, you might look at that and say, wow, that's, that's, that looks really good over here. And you start to crave it, and there's a pulling and a tug. Has anybody ever felt a pulling or a tug for something that God forgave you of and he delivered you from? The enemy's like, uh-huh, got you over here. Let me wave a picture. I got a flag. Let me pull you back in. That's a struggle. It's a suffering. 
It's people out there, friends, that are pulling you to do something. And you're like, well, they're good people. And they have a good life. And, and, and they say, well, I don't quite believe the way you believe. And what's wrong with me? And why are you condemning me? And, and, and I do love Jesus. And, and, and yet you're like, that's not right. And they're tugging you. And they're pulling you. It's your own internal struggles that go on. Because you still fight this person right here. Ah, and we get up in the morning and you prayed the last three days and you're like, I would like to start out my day with a movie. And God's like, but what about our prayer time? It gets you to the place where you need to be. And you struggle. You struggle. Ah, but the struggle is worth it. Because when we came to Jesus Christ, we found blessing and joy and hope and salvation. You had your marriage put back together. You, had, you were delivered from your addiction. You found a reason to get up in the morning. Oh, He brought you through some mental struggles that you were going through. He showed you ways to overcome. And He gave you deliverances. And it is worth everything. I don't want to go back to that spillage, that mess, that crud. Oh, I know that I have a struggle in my life but I want to press on and I want to fight. Oh, that the trial of my faith being much more precious than gold. Oh. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye shall be glad with exceeding joy. <clears throat> Peter's telling you, you're gonna come through it. You're gonna come through it. So maybe there's somebody out there, and when you first came to God, you're like I described, you're like, man, I found something here, and it's worth every bit of it. But now, as time's gone on, you've felt that struggle. You felt that tugging. Do you know one of the worst struggles is? Is when I fail. When I fail, and now that finger pokes me and says, God isn't going to forgive you. But just hold on. Keep fighting. Keep pressing. Keep being righteous. Keep pursuing. Why? Because it's going to be worth it in the end. It's going to be worth it. Somebody needs to return today and remake a commitment to Jesus Christ. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. His authority and power is both here and not yet, and, but he is here right now, and he's, gonna, he's there to bring you along. Verse 11 of Matthew chapter 5, he goes on and he says, Blessed are ye, when men shall rival you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets were, which were before you. We're not just being persecuted for living righteously. You will be persecuted because you lived for Jesus. But in the couple minutes that I have left... I just want to bring home the title. The title of Set on a Hill. 
Because sometimes we stop at the Beatitudes right there. And we didn't understand that we're going to go through struggle. But Jesus says, Ah, first lady, why do you need to go through suffering? And why do you need to go through struggle? Sister Dana, why do you need to put up with it? It's not just for you, but you are the salt of the earth. And if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Oh, hear me. You need to go through suffering because just as Jesus was lifted up, He's saying, hey, you need to be on a hill. You need to be a part. You need to be different because you're not just getting to heaven. You're reaching them and bringing them to heaven. Your lifestyle matters. You're willing to push through the suffering matters. Brother Danny, working up there in Norfolk and working every day and going through the struggle, you're a city on a hill. Your suffering is worth it and it matters. We have on the screen these lights. You see this passage here, he goes on and he says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick that it giveth light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I always think of that as a single candle. But a city set on a hill, you know what that is? It's a light. 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 And now I know these are street lights. But when you begin to get these lights and you go thousands of miles out into outer space, maybe some of you have looked at those lights. Those, those globes. During the daytime when the sun is shining, when Jesus comes back in all his glory, you won't see all that. But right now in the nighttime, those lights shine so brightly. One time, I was trying to get myself back out of a trail. This is not the great last story that some of you have heard about from me. This one was in the Black Hills. But I'm, I'm traveling back. I've got me a glow-in-the-dark compass, and I'm like, man, why did I leave the trail? And then I saw way down the slope, it was several miles away, flickering lights of a campground. And I said, I know where that place is. I'm just going to keep it in view. And as I would go down, I would push past a struggle, and I would push past this rock and this ravine, and I'd work my way, kept working my way over, because I saw those lights of all those campers, it wasn't just one, but it was another one and another one. And if we could stand to our feet. And as you stand to your feet, I want you to understand, here's one, here's one, here's one, here's one, here's one, here's one. Your lights. And you need to go ahead and live righteously. Why? It is going to be a struggle. You are going to go through suffering. But it's worth it in the end. And together, we're a city on a hill we're the church of the living God. And somebody needs to see that light again today. And spiritually, you need to come back and say, Jesus, I'm here. And the rest of us need to commit, God, I'll go through the suffering. If you suffered on the cross, I'm willing to suffer too. Let's go ahead and just talk to Him just for a moment. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh God, it's worth it all. It's worth it all, Lord Jesus, to go through the struggle to go through the suffering. Oh God, to go through the affliction. Oh Jesus, to endure to the end. 
Oh God, every blessing, every moment that you put in my life, God, I'm willing to go, God. Oh, I'm willing to go through anything just to keep you and to have you. And I'm willing to be that light on the hill. Oh, Lord, may my suffering bring you glory. And may it point towards you, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. God bless you. I hope you're encouraged today. And know that, yes, we will all suffer, but we will all see Him in the end. And man... I would rather have Jesus and suffer than have the riches of this world and not have him at all. God bless you. We'll see you back here in 10 minutes.